This podcast is brought to you by jewishpodcasts.org. Start your very own podcast today at jewishpodcasts.org. We're starting off in Park Bay's Pusik Tesvav. Everybody knows this Pusik because we all know what happened to Moshe Rabbeinu when he grew up. We have very few stories of Moshe Rabbeinu's youth and what happened to him when he was younger. But here, we know what happened with Dustin Aviram. Moshe Rabbeinu got involved in their fight with Dustin beating up Aviram and Aviram beating up Dustin. The day before, Dustin was being beaten up by an Egyptian man. He had killed that man and buried him in the ground. It says by, that, and the next day, Dustin said to him, Halarganiya to Omer, are you trying to kill me? Like you said over there, me some chalashofet aleinu, who made you a judge over us? So by Yishma Paro Esadava. Paro heard about everything. By Yavakish Laro Gismosha, and he wanted to kill Moshe Rabbeinu. By Yivrach Moshe Mipnei Paro, Moshe Rabbeinu ran away from before Paro, Midian, and he lived in the land of Midian. He went to settle in the land of Midian. So there's so many questions that you can ask over here. The major questions are, if Moshe was Paro's adopted grandson, why, why in the world would Paro want to kill him? What, has no officer ever killed an Egyptian citizen before? Had that not happened? Number two, the word used to kill someone, to put someone to death, is the word lahamis. That's the word, not laharog. Laharog is like a random death. What does that mean, laharog? Why is the Pusik using that word? Number three, how do you understand the word vayivakesh? And he tried to kill Moshe Rabbeinu. What does that mean? He tried to kill him? You have an executioner. You don't try to kill the guy. You kill him. That's all it is. Number four, and this is by far my hardest one. If slaves were never able to leave Egypt, and that's what happened to the Jews, how is this fugitive able to escape? How was Moshe Rabbeinu able to get out without a problem? There's no question like he was able to escape without any problems over here. I'm sorry, uh, yeah, well, uh, but then you're going with the first part. Then why is Paro killing him? Uh, again, it, it, you can't contradict within the same thing. What's going on here? So here's the deal. After Moshe Rabbeinu had killed the Egyptian man, buried him in the ground, the Jew he had saved, seemingly Dasan from the Midrashim, went around telling everyone what had happened, and the rumor reached the throne and Paro's ears. It's mentioned in Shmos Rabbah. It seems you heard about the murder and wanted Moshe to be punished for it. That's what it seems like. The Meshachachma says a Kiddush. Paro never heard about the murder. That wasn't the issue over here. What Paro heard was Moshe's words. What did Moshe say after he was caught? And after Dustin said, oh, are you trying to kill me like you tried doing that guy? Who made you a judge over us? What did Moshe Rabbeinu say back? He said back the words, Achein, therefore no dahadover. Now it's going to be known to the king. Paro says the Meshachachma heard that and said, what, normally things go under my radar? What, the Jews keep things to themselves and they don't tell me about it? That's when Paro got angry. According to this idea, Moshe Rabbeinu was going to be killed not because he had killed an Egyptian man, but rather because he was keeping secrets from the king. It was like he was spying for the Jews, and he was only upset that it was getting out. But otherwise, Paro never would have heard about it. He said, Paro, you're keeping things from me? If you're keeping things from me, that's why you're going to be killed. What's up, Brian? Yeah. Not necessarily, but we have to assume, yeah, only because if it's not, then we're dealing with too many issues that go on. The next Paro, when Moshe Rabbeinu came back 60 years later, is probably not the same Paro. You'd assume he wasn't Paro for 80 years. But 20 years, as Moshe Rabbeinu grew up in the palace, yes, the assumption is it's the same Paro. I feel like you can solve the big problem with that with another Paro. 
It's still hard if Bisya, if the daughter of Paro is still around, which you'd assume she's still a queen of some sort. But yeah, you're right, to get rid of anybody else. You'd assume that it's the same. Let's assume it's the same Paro. But yes, that, that, but then you're going to run into another problem, Ephraim, because if you deal with that, you're going to ask, then I don't understand why it, uh, slaves were never able to leave Egypt. How in the world did he get away? Yeah, I'm sorry, what's up, man? Were the Levim able to leave? Why couldn't they? They weren't. They weren't, uh, they weren't. Were the Levim able to leave, though? Do we have that in a Medrash somewhere? There is a fake Medrash Avkir, but that's a great point. Just the question is, were the Levim actually able to leave or not? I'm not sure they were. That's a good point, though. But that's the Meshachach Moschidish, and I think that's one of the biggest Chidushim you'll ever hear. Nothing to do with the killing. It had to do with what Moshe Rabbeinu said, but the Chidah asked this question that I've had for years, and I've never really had a good answer for it. Moshe's a prince. He's a leader in the Egyptian world. There's no question they killed people randomly whenever they wanted to. Moshe Rabbeinu even looked both ways before he did it. We all know, Bayithen Kovacho, Right, he turned this way and that to make sure there were no witnesses whatsoever. How could it be that one Jew, a slave, a slave, I guess he could have been a slave driver, Dasan, gets up and tells the king that this Jew went and killed somebody, and it's his adopted son, and immediately Paro turns on the kid and listens to the accursed Jew to the slave about what his adopted grandson did? That doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Why in the world would he listen to this guy? There was no other person there. There were no other witnesses. So why would he listen to this one guy? So he answers. And here's what the Chidah answers. He heard Moshe Rabbeinu was able to, to kill this man with the name of God. That's what he heard about. And now he got scared. He knew that Moshe Rabbeinu had grown up in Amram and Yochevet's house. Because remember, he had sent out Moshe through Bisya to Yochevet's house to nurse under Shifra and Pua, right, until he was ready to enter the palace. That had already happened, which means he was already connected with the Gedolim of the Jews. Now he somehow knew a name of God that he was able to use in order to kill an Egyptian man. Says Ridah, he was scared out of his mind. This child had a greatness, he had a strength to him that he had never seen, he had no idea what else this kid could do, and he was scared out of his mind, he had no idea what to do with, this such, with such a kid. It doesn't matter if it's your own son. A king wants to remain in power. And if you have a guy who's in your kingdom, who knows a name that is able to kill anyone just by saying it, you're scared, you don't know what to do. How, how, what do we do to get rid of this kid? They were ready to do absolutely anything because of that power. And that's the reason why Paro wanted him killed. That's the concept. Who knows if Moshe Rabbeinu got angry one day. And he's like, no, Moshe, you can't watch more TV. And he just gets angry. Turns over to Paro and kills him. Just with the shame of Hashem. For that reason, he had to plan Moshe Rabbeinu's death. It was by Yavakesh Lahorogis Moshe. What do I do in order to kill Moshe? Because you can't just go up to him and say, here's what I'm going to do. That's how the Shach says it. In the meantime, Moshe Rabbeinu heard about this and ran away. We all know the Midrashim. But in Pashib Shat, the way that the Chidah says this happened is that Moshe Rabbeinu heard that Paro was planning his death. And instead of using the shame to kill Paro, he ran away on his own. Maybe he knew that the shame of Hashem only works to kill Paro in certain situations, not others. And he was worried what would happen. Maybe he could use it in front of this guy who was killing Dustin, but not in front of Paro itself. 
truth is, he was right. The name of Hashem that he used was Taka, which is Tav Kafei. That name of HaKadosh Baruch Hu can only be used against one's enemy in the time that he's trying to kill you. At the time, Moshe Rabbeinu couldn't do it unless he knew someone was killing him at the time or killing someone at the time. So he would have to use that shame only at certain points. Yeah, something like that. So there was there. Yeah, but not maybe at that moment. He'd have to use it right at the right time. So if somebody came up to him when he was sleeping, closed his mouth, and then all of a sudden he's taken, Moshe Rabbeinu realized, I've got to run away in order to get around it. That's the Chidah's view. The Chidah's view is that this whole thing was because how Moshe Rabbeinu killed Dasan, and therefore killed the Egyptian that was beating up Dasan. Therefore, Paro was worried about what's going to happen. So even though it's his own adopted grandson, it's his grandkid, it didn't make a difference. He said, I can't. I can't let this kid be anymore. I'm worried about what's going to happen. Yalkurveni brings a Medrash Rabbah in Parshish Akif. This is a Medrash Rabbah there. The Paro said to himself, I've heard a lot of things about this young man. I've heard a lot of things about him and what he's done. I've been silent up until now. I never wanted to say anything because of my daughter. Now that it's come to the point where he's murdering Egyptian citizens, it can go no further. My assumption is the Pshapia in this Medrash is the one that we all know. Before Moshe Rabbeinu was born, we all know there was an astrologer that came to Paro and said, there will be a Jew who's going to be born, who's going to save the Jews and bring them out of Egypt. They all knew that, right? And then what happened? They made the edict that all children have to be thrown into the Nile River, that they're all going to be killed, everybody's going to be destroyed. We all know what happened. Moshe Rabbeinu was taken out of the Nile River, and the Egyptian philosophers, the astrologers, looked up in the skies and said, oh, the kid is in the river, the kid is drowned, he's gone completely. And then they saw that there was going to be an Egyptian man. Instead, it was something weird that they saw. When Bilaam saw, we all remember this little medrash, when Moshe Rabbeinu was sitting in Paro's lap, right? He took the crown off of Paro's head and he put it on his own head, right? And immediately Bilaam saw it and said, that kid, this is the kid we saw. This is the kid we saw in the astrology. We saw him as an Egyptian. We saw him as a Jew. We saw him in the river. He was in the river. He's growing up as an Egyptian. He's from the Jewish faith. This is the kid that's going to take over your kingdom. They all remembered this story. And that's when they had the whole story with the coal, the glowing coal, and the crown on one side, the gold on the other side. Moshe had to choose between one of the two, and he reached out for the crown, as we all know, the gold, and he was pushed over to the coal, he put it in his mouth, and he became some type of a, something happened with his lip because of, we all know this measure. Everybody knows this measure. It's a famous one, right? Says the Al-Kuruveni in the Midrash Rabbah, this was the final, final straw for Paro. Paro said, I've been through a lot with this kid. I've wanted to kill him 10 times over because I'm always worried maybe this is the kid. Maybe this is the kid who's going to take over. And he was right. He was right. He knew this is going to be a kid that's going to take over everything. I'm scared out of my mind. Finally, he's killing Egyptians because of this travesty of the slavery of the Jews. Now he's gone. Now I really know he's going to be the leader. I've got to get rid of him right now. That's when he started taking care of him. That's the idea of what happened. That's what that Medrash Rabbah is saying. Now it makes a lot of sense. Sure, it was his adopted grandson. Granted, it was only an Egyptian that he had killed. It's only one guy. What's the big deal? But the shot is, he's been waiting for this. It's been building up and building up and building up. And Paro keeps wanting to do something, do something, do something. Finally, this happens. Paro says he's dead. He's dead. I can't let him survive anymore. That's the idea. In the Mechilta, Medrash and Shmos, Dustin Abiram said out loud, who made you judge over us in front of a bunch of people? Now, here's how I understand the measure. I think this is what it means. They goaded the story out of Dustin Abiram. Dustin never meant for the story to get out, that he had been beaten up and that Moshe Rabbeinu killed an Egyptian. But it came into a crowd and they said, who made you judge over us? And everybody's like, why are you guys so angry at Moshe? What, what, was he, what, what did he do to you? And Dustin's like, oh man, yesterday. Oh, 
Like somebody says, what do you mean? What happened yesterday? Oh, I didn't mean to say anything. I didn't want to say anything. But yesterday, there was an Egyptian man beating me up, and this guy killed him. Moshe beat up an Egyptian ju- Oh, my gosh, that's crazy. They went home and told their parents. Now, has anybody here played the game of telephone? No, right? Nobody's ever. So we all know that exaggeration happens a little bit. You embellish a story a little bit. Eventually, it became Moshe Rabbeinu riding a flying dragon, coming down, like picking up the Egyptian with his, you know, whatever it is, and like poking out everything. Think of all the comic books that you can imagine. The Jews were telling over this story to each other, embellishing the story and saying, this guy Moshe Rabbeinu is the greatest, awesome superhero of all time. He's the god of Superman, and he's going to defeat all the Egyptians. And they made this into a huge thing to the point where Paro said, I've got to kill him because the rumors are getting too nuts. That's the shot. Sure, it's my adopted grandson. Yes, I want him to live. But the Michalta says he had to squash all the rumors to the contrary. All the rumors that were saying that Moshe Rabbeinu was the Superman who was going to kill everybody. He said, no, that, 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 you can't let that happen. That's when he decided he was going to kill him. Says Rapersh. That's the reason why he says Lahamis, right? It doesn't say Lahamis, it says Laharog. Why does it say the word Lahamis? Because Moshe occupied a very distinguished position. Paro had to mitigate his sentence. He was supposed to, even though he had murdered someone. Other people would have been killed immediately, but he was allowed to live, and therefore he was able to run away. It's almost as if Paro allowed him to run away and get out of the kingdom. We said that normally people don't get out of Mitzrayim. When you're a slave, when you're in jail, you don't get out of Mitzrayim. You can't. They had too much magic or whatever it was that kept them in there. It could be that Paro himself Abnabisya abetted his escape. They tried to laharog oso, not lahamis, not to put him to death by, by the executioner in the right way, but they allowed him to somehow get around the issue, somehow escape, and everything happened in that way. That says reverse is what happened over here. That's the reason why it happened. Now Rashi says what happened was they gave him, they gave him over to the chief executioner for Paro to be pit, for Moshe Rabbeinu to be killed. But the sword didn't work on him. Now, you all know this medrash from when you were a kid, right? We all know that what happened was that his neck turned into marble. So it's funny. It's not in Rashi here. Rashi tells us only later on in Perak Yudches that his neck turned to marble, which you would assume would break a metal sword that's used against it. Try using the metal that they had back then against stone, against marble. The, the, it's going, it, there's no way it's going to work. It kept bouncing off right over there. Now, this is all brought by the Yushalmi. It's Yushalmi in Brachos, so we're going to mention in a minute, Yushalmi in Brachos, Perak Tess, that mentions that his neck turned to stone, and that when they took the sword and they put it on it, it bounced off and that's happened. Says the Das Zakanim, he says the sword was swung ten times on his neck. Ten times he swung the sword. Each time it blunted the sword more and more and more until the tenth time the whole sword broke in half. That's what ended up happening. And that Medrash, I think everybody knows. Now, that's Rabbi of Yasser's opinion in the Medrash. Rabbi of Yasser goes on. He says, not only did the sword not work against, against Moshe Rabbeinu's neck, but it bounced up, and we all know what happened, right? It killed the chief executioner. It killed the executioner himself when that was happening. Says the Shach, now we understand the word mevakesh. Mevakesh is, there was no way for them to kill him. They had no ability to kill him. They were trying to find another way of killing this guy, considering the last sword they used bounced off his neck and killed the executioner himself. Now what do they do? The Dasakanim says the word by Yeshev Moshe is the same gematria, 663, as Evan Shayish. 
which supports the medrash. Evan Shaish is marble stone that his neck turned into in order for that to happen. And then learns it out from the words Mipne Paro. From in front of Paro, it happened right in front of Paro's face. The Malbim says he learns it from the word Laharog instead of Lahamis. It no longer was Lahamis. Now he's trying to find a way, any way to kill him. Not to do it execution style, but to really kill him in any way. Torah Tamima learns it out from that way as well. By Yavakish, they wanted to figure out what should they do over here. Then comes the Dazakain and bringing another Medrash. The other Medrash says, Moshe's face was switched with the executioner's face. See, the executioner who tried killing Moshe, all of a sudden, looked like Moshe Rabbeinu. And Moshe Rabbeinu, who was stuck inside, looked like the executioner. Right? So everybody's like, hey, what happened? Moshe got out! They started chasing after the executioner to kill him. And Moshe Rabbeinu, who looked like the executioner at the time, was able to get up and run away. That's how he was able to get out of Mitzrayim also. He looked like the executioner itself. That is an amazing Dazakanim of shape-shifting. Absolutely unbelievable. But that is the, one, of the two, one of the only places that you'll see such a medrash. Everybody was given the vision, so to speak, of the executioner of Moshe switching places. Too bad for that executioner. I know he's been killing people a lot. But like, I, I don't know if he deserved the death of being hacked to pieces by all the people around there. But you have to assume that he did. That's the Dazakanim. The Bar Kapara. Bar Kapara was another opinion that you shall me above says a Malach came down with the likeness of Moshe Rabbeinu and they ran after him instead of Moshe Rabbeinu himself. Instead of saying that he switched places with the executioner, a Malach looked like Moshe Rabbeinu. A Malach was able to run away. Everybody chased after him and Moshe Rabbeinu, it's like a comedy of errors, Moshe Rabbeinu is standing there saying, can I... I'm out. <laughs> and then ran when everybody was going after the Malach himself. He was able to run away. The Rabbeinu Bechaya says... The words, Shenis Alem, he became hidden, the Koacha with a power of being hidden. In theory, that can mean with the help of the Malach or any of the things that we mentioned up above, but certainly it sounds like he says that Moshe Rabbeinu disappeared. Rev Chevel, if anybody knows Rev Chevel, you know those green Rambans? You know what I'm talking about? It's like a two volume set. This is Rabbeinu Bachayas as well, the three-volume Rabbeinu Bachaya. They're written by Rav Chevel. He's the one that put them together. There's an English Ramban as well, with notes in it, also written by Rav Chevel. So Rav Chevel brings down from the Sefer Chemda Seyomim, that brings that Moshe used a Shema Mavurish to make himself invisible. And don't ask me how he knew that. If he knew the name that he was able to use to kill somebody, he certainly knew the name that he could use to make himself invisible. He disappeared in front of Paro and his servants. He literally disappeared in front of their eyes, and they had no idea where he had gone, and that's how he was able to get out. So far, we have four unbelievable midrashim. Number one, that his neck turned to stone and even killed the chief executioner. Number two, that his face changed with the executioner's face and they changed faces. Number three, you have a malach that looked like Moshe Rabbeinu that everybody chased after. Number four, that he literally disappeared in front of their very eyes. And that's how he was able to get out. That's four midrashim that you have over here. Rabbi Yoshua ben Levi says, in that Yerushalmi, that Paro turned mute. So he kept calling out, kill that guy, but nobody could hear him because he turned mute. The officers became deaf. All the officers were standing right by Paro. Well, I don't know if they could hear anything anyway because Paro was mute. But they all turned deaf and they couldn't hear anything that anybody was telling them. And the guards became blind, allowing Moshe Rabbeinu to escape very, very easily. That's what ended up happening. And Perak Dalit, Pasuk Moshe Rabbeinu says, he makes people, God makes people mute. Oh, this is really Akash Baruch talking to Moshe Rabbeinu. Who makes people mute? Who makes people smart? Who makes people deaf? That's a reference to how Moshe Rabbeinu escaped Mitzrayim. 
he escaped Mitzrayim because HaKadosh Baruch Hu made sure that certain people were mute and certain people were deaf. Certain people couldn't see what's going on. Me'am Loeis says, at that moment, Moshe Rabbeinu got an extra bit of wisdom. He understood how to escape and what route to use. I would assume if Moshe Rabbeinu was the daughter of Paro's son, he had a ton of escape routes handy. I am sure there were hundreds of ways out of the capital city of Mitzrayim, even by the chief executioner, and Moshe Rabbeinu knew exactly where to go in order to escape. That's my assumption, that he knew exactly how to get out, living in the palace the way that he did, but he wasn't scared. He got up and he went out. The Torah Shalem brings down the, from the Medrash Agadol, another fifth Medrash, is just absolutely unbelievable. There were seven people who had kfitzis aderach. Now, has anybody seen the Gemara in Sanhedrin, in Chelek, in Sadiheh? Okay, you don't have to raise your hands all at once. For the Anavim out there, there are three people who had Kfitzis Aderech during their lifetimes. You know who the three are? Eliezer of Avram. Who's the other one? The other two. Who? Yaakov Avinu. My kid's 13, guys. Okay, yeah. Eliezer of Avram. Yaakov Avinu. And there's one other. This is a hard one. It's only in the Gemara. Which safer is it in? Sanhedrin, Sadihe. It's the only place it's in. There is none. Where's the story of this? There is none. There's no such story. You're close. Yishai? Is that what you said? Avishai is the answer. Avishai is the general of David Melech's army. If anybody remembers David Melech against Yishbi Benov, the massive giant, he went to my Shavuot year six years ago. How do you forget this? My gosh. Either way, regardless, Yishbi Benov, when Yishbi Benov was there, Avishai, wait, obviously he didn't. Avishai was the third out there. You know what happened to me today? I'm sitting in tells, okay? I'm sitting down in tells and... Uh, and Lots of lots of good shilas today. Either way, but I was sitting down and tells him uh, Rav Manis, who's one of the rebbeim in the in the high school, a rebbe of I think the eleventh grade, comes up to me and says, "Do you know where the brisker Rav is on Bia v'Miksas Shmebia?" Right? He says that to me, so I'm like, oh. I'm like, I have no idea. He's like, come on, you were in Rav Asher right? I'm like, you're making me feel really bad right now. So I figured I have to give that to other people as well. In the end, by the way, it wasn't a Rav Brisker Rav. He was tricking me. It was Rav David in Zvachim Lamed Bezim and Aleph. That makes you feel any better. Okay, so I also got nailed today with a brisker rub that didn't exist. So don't feel so bad. But either way, that Kamara says there were three people with Kfitsa Zadara. Three people. You know what makes me feel good, though? Himamish thought that I knew where a random brisker rub was. That, that makes me feel really, really good. That didn't exist. But I, that makes me feel really good about it. Either way, there were three people that had Kfitsa Zadara. Now, there were, according to this metrish, there were seven people that had Kfitsa Zadara, and one of them is Moshe Rabbeinu. How did Moshe get out of Mitzrayim? How could he leave? He had Kfitsa Zadara. Not that he became invisible. Says the Torah Shlomo from the Medrash Agadol, he was able to get out through that Kfitsa Derech. He took one step and he found himself in Kush, or Midian, one of the two, depending on which Medrash you're going with. Okay, that's what ended up happening. Miam Loez brings a final Medrash, our seventh answer altogether. A Malach pulled him out of Egypt and put him in an area that was 40 days away. That's not Kfitsa Derech. Kfitsa Derech is when the land, when Baal Shem Tov, you know, with Alexi, the wagon driver, everyone knows what I'm talking about, right? Read Baal Shem Tov stories. Alexi the Wild. Yeah, if there's an inn and a forest, and he's he's got a wagon. The way, that, what happens is that the land folds up beneath. So it's like you just take a step, and the whole land folds up underneath. It's just like you know, like here to like here, and you just go like that, right? Like that, right? That's what ended up happening. It folds up underneath. That's how Kvitzadar should be. You take a step, and you just find your way there. This is not a Malach picked him up and threw him. I, I'm assuming he landed on his feet like a cat, right? All the way over. 40, my, 40 days walk from Egypt for him to be over there. No one knew what happened. They were all shocked by it. They just sat there. They were about to 
execute him. As we're about to, <laughs> the executioner gets off easy in this one. <laughs> in this matter, she doesn't die. But the executioner is about to hit him. Then all of a sudden, Amalek is like, eh, eh, and like threw him, and everybody's like, what? What in the world just happened? No one had any idea. Nyamloi says, no one knew. They were all shocked by it. And Hashem did this on purpose. Whatever the medrash was, Hakadosh Baruch Hu did whatever it was on purpose. You know why? It makes so much sense. God wanted people talking about this for years. Do you remember that guy who all of a sudden disappeared when Paro went mute and the chief executioner got killed with the sword bouncing off of his marble neck and then he was able to run away and Amalek came in his peer? There were crazy things being said about this guy Moshe. Why was that important? Said 60 years later when Moshe Rabbeinu comes back, they're like, you're that guy! You're that guy that we tell our kids about. You're the superhero guy. The guy who flew on a flying dragon and killed the Egyptian and then escaped when his neck turned to marble and then ran away with a malach. You're that guy. We made comic books about you. That's why it was so important. Moshe Rabbeinu didn't just get in and say, pakod pakadati, and everybody's like, you're in, buddy. You're in. That's not what happened. Moshe Rabbeinu walks in and they're like, you're the son of the princess who got killed an Egyptian man through crazy, miracle, miraculous ways, and then afterward escaped and was able to get out. You're awesome. Of course we're going to believe in you. Anything you say, we'll do. That's why it worked. Doesn't that make so much more sense now? Now the deal is these Midrashim are not necessarily that's what happened. Not at all. It's not what it's there for. It's there to tell us that's what the people would tell each other, which ended up becoming so popular. Everybody's like, this guy's awesome. We better listen to everything he says or he'll kill us with that shame, huh? You're not going to do that, Moshe, huh? You're not going to do that? You won't, right? (laughs) He didn't. But that was the idea. It was to make him awesomer. That was the concept of what's happened. Says Miam, that's by far, that's a great Miam Lois. It makes so much sense why all this happened that way. The Al-Kuruveni says another amazing Medrash, also brought by the Yushalmi above. Here's the deal. The Malachim turned to Hashem and said, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, Moshe, your beloved one, has been captured. And Hashem responded, I'll take care of it. I don't... <laughs> it's like, what is it, playing Xbox? <laughs> what's going on? Like, yeah, I'll take care of it. Then they said, Moshe's standing in front of Paro to be judged. And Akadosh Baruch said, yeah, I'll take care of it. And then he was about to be killed. The Malachim said, Moshe's about to be killed. He's like, oh, better go. <laughs> and he goes down. Shem steps in and saves him, Dafka, from the sword of Paro. That's what happened. Bayatzileni mecherev Paro. God saved me from the sword of Paro. What in the world is this Medrash talking about? Why would not Kaddish Baruch Hu save him in the first place? Was he so busy that nothing was going on? The Malachim are saying, save him now, save him now. And Hashem kept saying, yeah, I'll do it, I'll do it, I'll do it. And then steps in at the very last second. What's shot? Like said, I'm sorry? It's like a boss, don't tell me what to do. Okay, so what's shot behind that? What does that mean? Is it just like HaKadosh Baruch Hu was like, yeah, I could do this, right? Of course HaKadosh Baruch Hu could do it. What was going on? So the idea is the following. Moshe Rabbeinu had to know that this was going to be a great miracle. Moshe Rabbeinu's escape had to be a miraculous escape in order for him to know that he was saved in a miraculous way. Had Moshe Rabbeinu gotten around it in the first place, how could this have happened? I don't know. Nobody would have ever found out about the Egyptian man. Let's say that would have happened. Then what? Moshe Rabbeinu would have said, eh, it's not God, it's me. I did it in a way by Ethan Kovako. I made sure nobody was there. I got away with it. If Moshe, Moshe Rabbeinu would have been made innocent through Paro in court, what would Moshe Rabbeinu have said? That wasn't God. That was Paro. Paro did it. I should thank Paro. He's the one that saved my life. If something happened 
where he was able to escape from jail while he was in jail, right? He would have, again, attributed to whoever got him out of jail, whatever had happened over there. The only way for Moshe to know this is an absolute miracle by God was for it to happen at the worst, the end, the, the last possible moment when he was about to be executed. The sword is on his neck. Even at that point, HaKadosh Baruch can save you for him to know that it, happened, it had to happen right then. That idea is for us. That HaKadosh Baruch has put us in terrible positions and HaKadosh Baruch was putting this sword at our throat and we're sitting there and we're like, why couldn't you have saved me five minutes ago, ten minutes ago, an hour ago? Why couldn't you have done it? It had to be when the sword is at the neck because only then do you see it as a miracle. And if you still don't see it as a miracle, then you're just an idiot. You're just an idiot. You, you didn't see it as a miracle even though HaKadosh Baruch saved you literally at the end when it's about to happen, when the sword is about there, that's the lesson that we get from this medrash of HaKadosh Baruch waiting, waiting, waiting. He's doing it on purpose. He wants Moshe to know, I'm doing it, not you, not Paro, not anybody else. I'm the one in charge. And the only way for Moshe Rabbeinu to realize that is for it to happen right at the last second. Unfortunately, that's human nature. Who Everybody here thinks it's either me or it's somebody else or it's this or whatever it is. There's another thing that happened. You never attribute it to God unless you're saved right, right at that. I was in a car accident and nothing happened to me. Then it's God. It's always God as we know. We just don't think this way. That's the concept. But there's so much more to this. Listen to this part of Yosef. I said it over to four people this week because I literally thought it was the greatest vort I have ever heard in my life. I, I've never heard anything like this before. This is one of my favorites of all time. This is like my top five of all time. And I know I say this is the greatest vort you're ever going to hear. That's true also. This is my top five of the greatest of the great vorts that you will ever hear. I'm serious on this. There's a Gemara in Shabbos Nun Gimelamaves says there was a person who had a miracle happen to him that even though he had no money whatsoever, his wife had died and he had a little kid. The kid, he had no money to pay for food, no money to pay for a nursemaid. He was able to feed the baby himself. His chest was able to give off milk and he fed the baby himself. That's what the Gemara says. And in that Gemara, here's what happened. Rav Yosef got up, great Rav Yosef, got up and said, how great this man is that Hashem changed nature in order for him to feed his child. That's what Rabbi Yosef said. And Abaye, his student, Abaye went up to him and he said, what do you mean? How disgusting, how terrible this man is that a Kaddish Baruch Hu had to change nature for him. What did Abaye mean? If God changes nature for anybody, that's a miracle. A miracle can only happen for great people. So what does that mean? Oh man, he's terrible. Miracles happen to him. What's the problem? What's a bias problem over here? That he might have lost something in the future that he now... I mean, because he got a miracle now? Right. But what's what Rabbi Yosef says is a miracle. Abayi says it's terrible this happened to him. What was so terrible about a miracle happening for him? Because something will happen in the future that Rabbi Yosef can't argue on that. Or something? I'm sorry? Maybe he should have or could have received an Olam Havo. I mean, it's the death of his kid. Yeah. So that, so here's a bias opinion. Here's a bias opinion. There are two ways that a Kaddish Baruch can make something happen. We all know this. One is through a wondrous miracle and one is through nature. Okay. The difference between them is the following. A miracle is only good for whatever you need or whatever you're asking for. It does not last and does not extend in any way possible for anything more than that. That's because Hashem doesn't do a miracle without a very good reason. If you need something, a miracle will happen. But that's it. It won't extend. It won't go anywhere else. That's that. If something is done naturally, naturally, 
then the whole essence of the thing changes. You become a different person from where you are, and that change lasts forever. A miracle is temporary. By definition, it's only for that moment. But a natural change changes everything about you. It changes everything that you were. So here's the deal. Moshe Rabbeinu could have been saved by the Jewish community putting their money together, becoming very wealthy all of a sudden, and the Jewish people losing their slavery. They pay off Paro. They ransom Moshe Rabbeinu out of jail, and then everything's all good. Now, there's two advantages here. Moshe Rabbeinu gets out of jail, obviously, and he's not killed. You know what the other advantage is? The Jews are fabulously wealthy. That didn't go away. They were able to pay a ton of money for Moshe Rabbeinu to be ransomed. But they also get to keep the rest of the money. If it happens in a natural fashion... Right? It's not just most of being saved. It's all the people that get Yeshua as well. They get something a little bit better. But since Moshe Rabbeinu wasn't saved that way, he was saved through a miracle, right? Now he's looking over his shoulder all the time to see if Paro's coming after him. He has no idea. The people, the Jews, are still slaves and they have absolutely no money. Because it happened through a miracle, this happened, but nothing else happened that was good for the rest of the people there. So here's the idea. Sure, HaKadosh Baruch Hu saved them through a tremendous miracle. But it could have been so much better. This is Abayi's opinion. If only this man who nursed his own kid would have found a treasure. If only he would have found some type of money where not only would he be able to feed his kid and pay for a nursemaid to be there, but now he'd have money for the rest of his life. Now he fed his kid through a miracle. Shkayach, what's he going to do tomorrow? What's going to happen tomorrow? One miracle happened. That's not going to help you. He's still poor as dirt. He has no money for tomorrow. That's not going to help him. That's what Abayi was saying. Rav Yosef was saying, what a great miracle. Unbelievable. HaKadosh Baruch Hu did it. Abayi said, yeah, if it would last, it would be awesome. But it's horrible that a miracle had to happen. It would have been so much better if naturally he would have become wealthier and paid for a nursemaid and then had money left over to live for the rest of his life. That's the idea. Now he may have been able to have this miracle, but he's dirt poor. This is the problem, guys. We think that it's all about let's have a miracle happen. Let's have that little nace happen. And we think like if HaKadosh Baruch just appears to us or gives us a message or whatever it is, but that's gone five seconds later. It's done. It's over. You get nothing left from that. Nothing. You want something that lasts? You need something to happen naturally. And naturally, it happens slowly. You need it to go little by little and build it up. And eventually, you'll have what you need. Similar to what we spoke about last week with Yehuda and, and, Yehuda and, uh, and, and Yosef. The ideas of building yourself up Yehuda-wise. Yosef is this level of miracle, 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 miracle. And keep living on mir- miraculous events. That's not what we want. And that's the Pshat and the Medrash. Said HaKadosh Baruch Hu, I want it to be a pure miracle, nothing else. I don't want anyone else improved. The Jews don't deserve to get out of slavery yet. The Jews don't deserve to become rich. Moshe Rabbeinu himself doesn't deserve to have anything more than a miracle happen and then look back over his shoulder for the rest of his life. That's how he's got to live. That's the concept of what happens, says the party's Yosef. It is such an unreal vort, a, a line to be able to live, a line like that. Okay, more. The Orachim HaKadosh says... It never got that close. Everything we've been saying up until now, the Midrash and the city, the executioners, that, whatever it is, he's more like Reversh. Paro heard rumors about what his adopted grandson did. By Yavakesh, he wanted to find out what was happening 
So he searched, he went for Adam, he went for witnesses to see what was going on. That's the word over here. It's Vayishma Paro. Paro heard, as the devil said, the general idea of what had happened, Vayivakish. And he wanted to go figure out what was going to be. Before he was able to do so, Moshe Rabbeinu ran away so that he wouldn't be killed. So the line that you'd read it as doesn't read Gishmak into the Pusik, but it's Vayavakish. Paro wanted to figure out what happened. Lara gets Moshe. But Moshe was afraid he was going to be killed if that happened. So Moshe Rabbeinu ran away by Yivrach Moshe Mipne Paro. Before Paro had found out, he tried to go out over there. That's the idea behind it. Who knows? There's another shot from the Orachayim HaKadosh, but that's the idea behind it. Now, Maril Diskin says the double Lushen of Vayeshev at the end of the passage. You notice, it says, Vayeshev Baritz Midyan, Vayeshev Ala Be'er. So this is another thing. This has nothing to do with Paro, Moshe Rabbeinu running away. real question is, he lived in the land of Midyan, and then he lived by the Be'er. What's Vayeshev twice? Why do we need that word twice? Says the Maral Diskin, it's to indicate that he spent a lot of time in Midian, but he couldn't find a proper Shidduch. So because he couldn't find one, he went to the well to do what the forefathers had done. Where did the forefathers find their wives? We don't know about Avram Avinu. We know Eliezer went to the well to find Rivka. We know Yaakov went to the well to find Rachel and eventually Leah and everybody else, right? So after a long time, after he had settled in Midian, he's looking around for a wife and he can't find a wife. What does he do? By Yeshev Elabair. He sat down by the well and it worked out perfectly for him. The Rabbeinu Ephraim says this as well. So it's not only a moral disc and the Rabbeinu Ephraim is a Rishon. We're dealing with a Rishon saying this as well. Rav Schwab quotes the Shmos Rabbah, that where it actually says Moshe learned to do this from Yaakov, you know, and he brings this parallel, where Moshe and Yaakov are living parallel lives in a certain way, where Rashi even says in Pasuk Chof, the Yisro knew this was a child from Yaakov. How do we know there was a child from Yaakov? Because the water rose up to him. He didn't have to draw the water out of the well. The water rose up to his area to give there. Uh, we know the similarities. Yaakov was a shepherd. Obviously, Moshe Rabbeinu was a shepherd. For their father-in-laws, obviously. Lavan trying to chase after him and trying to kill him. Paro trying to chase after him and trying to kill him. Maybe it's because, says Rav Schwab, Yaakov is the Mida of Emes. And Moshe Rabbeinu as well was known as Emes. Bechol Beisi Ne'eman he is a trustworthy individual. Maybe, says Roshwab, that's the idea of who Moshe Rabbeinu stood for, that he went to the well for that reason. The Midrashim seemed to say, this is all a medrash to the king of Kush. You all know that story, right? So I spoke about it in Parshish Baloscha a couple years ago, how the Isha Kushis Asher Lakach refers to his 60-year excursion into the land of Kush, maybe 40-year excursion to the land of Kush, where he became king there for a while, whatever it is, but it's very hard. Vayeshev Be'eretz Midyan, Vayeshev Alaba'er. He lived in the land of Midian, and then he lived by the well. Where does it say anywhere that he went to Kush? Where's that wording? It should say, Vayeshev Ba'aretz, and then Vayeshev Ala Be'er B'Midian. That's what it should say. The fact that it says that he lived in Midian, I don't know, it's, it's, a, it's a hard measure to be able to learn over here. The Malbim, okay, if you want to know Kabbalah, just look at the Malbim. I'm not going to say anything further than that, okay? Just read it. He's got a one-liner over here. It's an awesome little piece of Kabbalah, and then go speak to River Raka, because I'm not 40 yet. Yalku Rubini says that he sat down and he sang Shira at the well, the same way that later on B'nai Saul were going to sing Shira when they had the Be'er Shomirim that were together with them. That's how they're going to act. They tried to find a safe place for them to go where they could sing out the song of Miriam, etc. That's the idea. Chazal learned from this that Moshe Rabbeinu was ecstatic when he heard about the Are Miklat. What are the Are Miklat? The Ir Miklat that they, we learn about? Yeah, city is a refuge, right? Where do you run there? You run there if you accidentally kill someone. When Moshe Rabbeinu heard that, he said, oh, there's a kapara for someone who murders somebody accidentally? 
Baruch Hashem, that means there's a kapara for me. What do you mean, murder? It's not murder? Technically, it is. Yeah, even by the, in the English vernacular, it is still called murder, even if it's... No, because in the English vernacular, murder is if you did it in the heat of passion... Attempted murder. No, no, attempted murder is not murder. You didn't kill somebody, right? Well, you're talking about Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it is, it is, let's call it... It is still considered killing someone. Maybe you're right. Maybe the murder word should be that way. Yeah, but it is still considered killing someone. So accidentally killing someone. So, and remember, by the way, accidental is not exactly accidental. Accidental means you're on your way down, right, and you fall down in such a way that you're going through, or the axe is going down, or whatever it is, and it falls off. Something happens when it's there. Said Moshe Rabbeinu, Baruch Hashem, that means I'm going to have a kapara. The same way that I went to Gullus after I killed someone, and I got my kapara through that. So to these murderers, these people who are, you know, need the Ari Miklad, they'll get their kapara through there. But that's an amazing point. You know what that means? That means that Moshe Rabbeinu never meant to kill the Egyptian men. He was just stronger than he thought he was. He punched the guy. I know, we've been dealing with the shame of Hashem up until now. But he just punched the guy really hard, and the guy died. The guy died. That, like, it's not accidental murder. It is technically, if you hit somebody that hard... Right? And it's yeah, there. Right it's not Horig Bishogeg. It's not what we would call, this guy's not high of the Ari Mikla. But it was a murder that he never intended to do. Let's call it that way. So when he heard about that, that's who went through it. The Torah Shalami doesn't like it, but that's what the Medrash says. We're going to end with one last thing over here. It's crazy Shach. Shach Torah says, why don't we mention anything about Kush? We said that it might have been that he went to Kush, but why don't we mention anything whatsoever? Why do you end up going from Kush to Midian instead of heading to Eretz Canaan? whose forefathers were from. It's not like he didn't know about his heritage. Why wouldn't he go to Eretz Canaan? Instead, he went to Kush? He went to Midian? What's he doing? Why is he going to those different places? See, he answers, the whole parsha is a remez. Did he go to Midian? Yeah. Did he go to Kush? Possible. But the whole thing is a remez. The areas that Jews had to go through when they went to Eretz Yisrael were filled with Tuma and Klipos. Filled with Tuma that goes around them, which would certainly affect the Jews as they walked around them because it's Tuma. Tuma does that to a person. Shem wanted to redeem the Jews, and he wanted to get rid of the Tuma and the Klipos around them. So Moshe went to subdue that Midas Adin. His travels through the desert, which are Midian and Kush, was his idea of getting rid of the Din of everything in the Midbor. He traveled in such a way through the desert, the same directions that the Jews were going to go through, La'asid level, when they went through, when they got out. Maybe that's why he was shepherding, grazing the sheep on Har Sinai when he saw the Sneh. Maybe that's the Pshat when he was going through there. He's trying to get rid of all of that area in order to settle the Shechina in that area, making the area of Din, the desert, into a Be'er, the well. So the idea of Vayeshev Eretz Midian, he lived in the land of Midian, says the Shach means he was living in an area that was filled with Din, filled with Tuma, and he turned it into a Be'er. He turned into an area that would be filled with Kedusha, that would be tremendous Kedusha coming through. That's what it meant that he went through. Kush, okay, that's not for right now, but the land of Kush that he was going through is not mentioned because it doesn't refer to what Moshe Rabbeinu was doing while going through the Midbar, preparing the area for the Jews. So if we wanted to go through, we had four things today. Number one, how he was able, why Paro would have killed him in the first place. What was the point of Paro trying to kill him in the first place if he was actually his adopted grandson? Why would he do that? We gave four answers to that question. We then went through, what's the shot behind the chief executioner, the Midrashim? We had seven Midrashim 
Yosef of what happened to Moshe when he was under the chief executioner's hands. We mentioned that Pardes Yosef, which is the greatest vort of all time, the Orachim HaKadosh that seems to stay like reverse, that it never really happened in the first place. And then finally, what was with the well? How do we understand the well and what that was doing there at the end of the puzzle? We'll stop with that, guys.